Greetings to those who watch below. It's Friday, which means it's time for another stop on our paranormal tour of the US. And today, we're heading to Arkansas. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, LT Punisher 666, Chris BLK Chris, Canopsia, Tegan S, and the real CFED22 for being those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership you can check out using the link in the description box. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Haunted Crescent Hotel in Arkansas by KTM25. Last weekend, me, my husband, my brother and his girlfriend stayed for two nights at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. We booked room 101, which was Norman Baker's office, when he ran a cancer hospital. The first night we stayed up really late, and nothing happened in our room. We started to explore the hotel at around 3.30am. We went and took pictures in front of the doors of some of the rooms we heard were haunted. I also took tons of pictures in the hallways. I was catching orbs, but I wanted something more. I stood in front of room 218 for about 45 minutes. 218 is supposed to be haunted by a ghost named Michael. The whole time I was standing there, I was talking to Michael, asking him to show me something or to play a joke or a trick on me. I didn't experience anything, although my brother and husband were catching a lot of green orbs around me. We went back to the room disappointed. Then, something strange happened. I was getting into bed, and a deck of cards that was on the coffee table when we left the room was now under my pillow. I knew that someone could have been playing a trick on me, so I brushed it off, put the cards back on the coffee table in the other room, and went to bed. The next day, the four of us had a late start, so we refused the maid service and went shopping downtown. We were thinking nothing of the deck of cards under my pillow until we came back into the room that evening, and the deck had been dealt into four hands on the coffee table. We were all together downtown the entire time, and we didn't have maid service that day. The only reasonable explanation is that the hotel staff was messing with us. The problem with that is that the hotel makes a lot of money off the idea that they are one of the most haunted hotels in the US, and it would be a huge liability for them to try and fake it with their guests. At this point, we were a little spooked and sceptical. The four of us sat in the living room for a while, discussing the possible ways this could have happened. While talking about it, I kept saying out loud that if there were any ghosts there with us, that I would like for them to show us something. I said I just felt like one of the people with me was playing a joke. Also while talking, my brother's girlfriend was rearranging the cards to put them back in the case, so that if they were even moved around in the case, we would know. She put one joker on top and one joker on the bottom. She put the whole deck of cards in the case back to the middle of the table. My husband was convinced it was hotel staff, so he booby-trapped the front door with an empty bottle of vodka. If someone didn't know the bottle was there and opened the door, they would knock it over. We took tons of pictures so that we would know if the bottle had moved. That night, we went out for dinner and drinks. A few hours later, around 11pm, we got back to the room. My husband unlocked the door slowly and reached just his hand around to take a ton of pictures before disturbing the bottle. What we saw was insane to all of us, 
and still a few days later, we are trying to find a logical explanation. There was a row of cards spread out in front of the door, face down, with the two jokers face up, while the rest of the cards were still in the case on the coffee table. No one had disturbed the vodka bottle. That night, we all wanted more proof. We wanted something to happen while we were in the room. Nothing did. That morning, my husband woke up even more sceptical, since nothing happened while he was in the room. I was the last person in the bathroom before my husband went to take a shower, and there was nothing out of the ordinary. While he was in the shower, my brother, his girlfriend and I went to breakfast. My husband met us down for breakfast about 30 minutes later, and was a little upset that we were messing with him. He was accusing us of writing something on the mirror before we left the room. We didn't. The word save was written on the mirror with a soap-like texture while my husband was in the shower. We can't all figure out how this all happened and don't know the significance behind the word save. I don't know if Michael was playing a joke on me that I had asked him to, or if Norman Baker used to play cards in the parlour of his office. The White River Monster A strange creature is said to lurk within the White River outside Newport, Arkansas. In fact, this legend is so widely accepted that the Arkansas State Legislature created the White River Monster Refuge adjacent to the Jacksonport State Park. Furthermore, the resolution made it illegal to molest, kill, trample, or harm the White River Monster while he is in the retreat. Whitey, as the locals call him, has been sighted frolicking in the White River for more than a century and a half. The creature was first spied by the Quapaw Indians, who once inhabited the area, and the tale was passed down from generation to generation. According to this first account, the creature overturned a brave's canoe before sinking back into the depths of the river. During the days of the Civil War, Whitey was accredited for overturning a loaded Confederate gunship. The White River Monster is described as snake-like, about 30 feet long with a spiny backbone, and makes a loud, bellowing noise. Most of the many reports came from fishermen and campers along the White River. In 1924, a Little Rock resident reported having seen the creature, further describing it as having a dingy grey, crusted hide. In 1937, a farmer named Bramlett Bateman, who lived south of Newport, proclaimed to have seen the animal several times, saying, The animal rises to the surface in the late afternoons and floats or swims about 5 to 15 minutes with its head underwater. Intending on capitalising on the sensation, Bateman soon set up a viewing area, where he charged 25 cents for a chance to see the monster, and also sold sandwiches and soft drinks. Though business was brisk for a while, no one else ever saw the creature. In 1966, three people fishing also saw Whitey, describing it as having a tail like a mermaid's, a long body, arm-like flippers, and a head the shape of a monkey's. In 1971, two men reported that they saw three toed tracks alongside the muddy riverbanks, as well as in the trees near the river. This same year, the monster was photographed by a man by the name of Cloyce Warren of the White River Lumber Company. Several other people that same year also claimed to have seen the monster. These multiple accounts 
were enough to convince the Arkansas State Legislature, who created the refuge two years later. Though the furore persisted, at least one biologist believed that the White River Monster was actually a lost elephant seal, who had somehow migrated out of its normal ocean habitat up the Mississippi River and into the White River near Newport. In the last several years, the monster hasn't been spied, but most of the locals still believe that it is still there. Others think that the creature died when the river became too shallow. In the meantime, Whitey has become Newport's local celebrity, as his facsimile leads the Christmas parade every year, and the legend has created a hubbub of souvenir shops, signs, and other promotions in Newport. White River's version of the Loch Ness Monster has also been documented in newspapers and books around the world, as well as in several television documentaries. Samantha's House by Just Another Tory These events take place in Harrison, Arkansas. It's a small town in northern Arkansas. I currently live in Missouri, but my best friend Samantha lives in Harrison. Samantha is a single mother of a beautiful seven-year-old little girl named Katie. In late 2011, Samantha and her husband split up, and she started house hunting. She got a good deal on a rental house within a week of looking. It was a two-bedroom home with a full basement, and had a fenced-in backyard. What a bargain! She called me immediately and told me about it. She said she couldn't pass it up. The only other option she had was to move back in with her parents, and she refused to ever do that again. Within a week, the move started. Katie was a little depressed about it. She told her mother that she just didn't like the house. Samantha thought it was because Katie didn't want to leave from their other home. She told her that she would get used to it and love that house as much as their old place. At first, the house was wonderful, and they had no problems with it. I went to visit Samantha and Katie when they finally got settled. My first impression was, oh my, this house is old. I asked her how old she thought it was. She said that her landlord told her the house was built in 1912. Wow, who knows what history could be tied into it. She showed me through the house. Here's a little of the layout. The living room seemed small but cute, and had some wood panelling on the walls. It seemed very 70s. To the right of the living room and one small step up was the hallway, which led directly to a bathroom and a small bedroom, Samantha's room. Straight across was Samantha's room was three stairs, which led down into their kitchen. As soon as I walked into the kitchen, I felt a cold draught. I thought it was the AC, considering it was 80 degrees outside. I really didn't think too much of it. As soon as you got into the kitchen, to the left was another small hallway, which led into another bedroom, Katie's, and to a door which went into the backyard. Directly at the end of the kitchen, if you went straight after coming down the stairs, was the door for the basement. Samantha said that she was kind of creeped out by the basement, but it was a basement. Lots of people are creeped out by them. She took me down to the basement, and suddenly I felt lightheaded. I got a sense of vertigo as I walked down the stairs and just felt strange. I chalked it up to being hypoglycemic and said, I think I need to go sit down and have something to eat. Later that night I left and went back home. The house gave me the creeps, but I figured that it was best not to mention it to Samantha. 
The next week, I talked to Samantha again. I asked how everything was going. The first thing she said was, my house is haunted. I thought, well it is an old house, it probably settles a lot and makes noise. She said that the second week they were there is when everything turned weird. She went in to take a shower after Katie was asleep. While in the shower, she heard a noise like the bathroom door opening. She looked out, thinking it was Katie, and nothing was there. Within a couple minutes, some steam had fogged up her glass shower door, and when she went to open it, she saw the handprint of someone who was a lot bigger than her on the glass. It freaked her out. It was without a doubt a man's handprint. The next morning, she woke up to 4am to sounds in the kitchen. It sounded like glass breaking. She thought, oh great, Katie broke something, and went down to check it out. Three of her glass dishes that her grandmother had given her somehow came out of her cabinet and broke on the floor. There's no way they could have done that on their own. She went in and looked at Katie, who was still asleep. She thought it best not to say anything to Katie. The next day, after Katie was at school, Samantha decided to go into the basement and move some stuff upstairs. The basement had a concrete floor and wood panelling on the walls as well. It still had some things in there from the previous owners, including a large rug hanging on the wall. It was pretty and all, but Samantha decided to take it down. In the midst of taking it down, she made one creepy discovery. There was a door behind the rug. This door was wooden and had an old lock on it. It looked like something from the 1800s. Before she did anything else, she called her landlord. She asked her straight up, why didn't you tell me about the door in the basement? The landlord seemed confused and swore up and down that she had no idea what she was talking about. She told her to come over and they would both investigate it. She knew better than to go at it alone. The landlord arrived and was in complete shock when Samantha showed her the door. I swear Sam, I never knew about this, she said. They decided to cut the lock and see what was inside this strange door. As soon as the door was opened, Samantha got the biggest sense of dread. They looked inside hesitantly. The room was an unfinished part of the basement. The walls and floor were both wood, but someone had painted them black. It was eerie. There was nothing in the room except a wooden table with dead roses on it. There were ropes tied to the wall, almost like they had tied someone up in the past. How creepy is that? It was like something out of a scary movie. They went into the room and picked up the roses. She couldn't make herself take those flowers out of the room, no matter how hard she tried. She had a panic attack every time she tried to move them. She said, Okay, keep your flowers, and left them there. She got a different lock and put it on the door. She had a feeling like that door should just stay closed. A couple nights later, Samantha had a horrible nightmare. She dreamed that there was a little blonde boy and a tall skinny man who lived in her house back in the 70s. The little boy was crying because the man was very scary. The man made threats towards the boy and told him he would kill him if he misbehaved. Towards the end of the dream, Samantha saw this man pick up a shotgun and shoot the little boy in the head and then shoot himself. She woke up in a sweat, having another panic attack. She could have sworn that she heard the gunshot. Within minutes, she heard Katie screaming. She ran down to her bedroom to comfort her. 
Katie told her, Mummy, I had a bad, bad, bad dream. There was a little boy, and his daddy was very mean to him. He didn't like him at all for ruining his marriage. So the man shot the little boy, and then he shot himself, right in our kitchen. Samantha was floored. Did Katie have the exact same dream as she did? Can that happen? Well, it did happen. There may have been slight differences, but the same dialogue was there. She was speechless. She told Katie that it was just a silly dream, and let her sleep in her room for the rest of the night. Katie managed to get back to sleep later, but Samantha never did. A few days later, Samantha let Katie spend the weekend at her grandparents. Katie was having bad dreams almost every night, and she thought it would be good to let her get away. That night, things got weirder. They must not have liked that Katie was gone. Samantha tried to watch a movie and relax, and forget about all of the creepiness of her house. While watching the movie, she heard noises underneath her, from the basement. It sounded like someone was knocking, and knocking loudly. She ignored it. She went down to get some water in the kitchen, and felt like she was being watched from the basement door. She closed the door, and locked it to feel a little safer. After the movie, she went back to the kitchen to make something to eat, and there was the basement door, wide open. I know I shut you, she yelled at it, and closed and locked the door again. While she was making her dinner, she kept looking back at the door to see if it was still locked. After she got done with dinner, she put her dishes in the sink, and looked at the door yet again, wondering if maybe she was going crazy, when suddenly, something knocked on the door. Three loud knocks. She jumped nearly out of her skin, and ran upstairs. It knew I was watching the door, she told me over the phone. She was so scared, I could hear the shakiness in her voice. I tried to calm her down, and offered to stay with her on Saturday, since it was my day off. When I arrived the next day, I gave Samantha a small cross to hang on her wall. It was one that I had in my own home for years. I didn't know if it would help or not, but it was worth a shot. She had mentioned that she wanted one over the phone, just to see if it made things go away. She hung it in the kitchen, which seemed to be the second scariest place in the house. We decided to make it a girl's day, since we didn't really know what else to do. So we went out to go eat, got our nails done, and rented a couple of movies before returning back to the house. We went into the living room. When we went into the living room, it was cold. It felt like it was 30 degrees in there. It has never been like this before, Samantha told me. We went into the kitchen and saw that four more plates were broken and a couple of glasses. They had all been in the sink when we left. Well, now I know it is definitely not Katie, she told me. We glanced over to the cross on the wall and saw that it was now upside down. I told Samantha immediately that she's got something bad in her house and she's going to have to leave or get it blast. She was so upset that she went upstairs and cried. She just sobbed. I don't believe this crap. I thought we had a good place to live and now we have to deal with this and up until now I honestly didn't believe in ghosts. I tried to comfort her and told her she just needed to move. She said that she had signed a lease for a year and didn't think that there was a way out of it even after the landlord saw the creepy door downstairs. Nothing really happened after that, but on Sunday, she went to get Katie from her grandparents and had a suspicion that the ghost followed her. While there, she kept seeing shadows 
and even heard growling coming from the bathroom. She said that had never, ever happened at that house before, so it had to be the ghost from her house following her. Months later, Samantha is still at this house. She doesn't talk to me as much as she used to, and she seems to keep to herself more. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. The last I heard from her was almost a month ago. The last thing she told me was that the knocking had spread from the basement to all over the house. Now she hears knocking in her closet at night. She heard growling in her closet, which really scared her, and Katie told her that she saw that mean man from her dreams standing in her bedroom one night, looking at her. After she noticed him, he moved closer and closer to her, turning and bobbing his head as if he wasn't sure if she was real or not. Then, as he became face to face with her, she screamed bloody murder, and he dissipated into nothing. Samantha hasn't seen anything yet as far as ghosts go, minus some shadows and things that she can only see out of the corner of her eye, but Katie has seen a lot. I think she's seen more than she's even told her mum about. She sleeps in Samantha's room now because she's afraid of the people in her room and refuses to talk about it. Samantha is trying to do research on her house but hasn't had much luck. The landlord brought it from an old couple who used it as their summer house. In the winter they lived in Florida and they only owned that house for two years before the woman got very sick and couldn't make the trips anymore. They told her that they also had no idea about the door in the basement. Apparently it's been there longer than they thought. Tall Man by Yo Mama This happened in the fall of 2009. It was the first sighting of the Tall Man. We call this guy Tall Man because we don't know what else to call him. He's very tall, slim, and looks like a living human being. My husband and I first saw Tall Man as we were a block and a half away from our home. We had gone out for the afternoon. As we were driving down our street, we noticed a very tall guy crossing right in front of our house. He was wearing a plaid shirt and jeans. As we parked in the driveway, we expected to see him at our front door, probably someone recruiting for a church, or maybe even a sales rep of some sort. He wasn't there. We shrugged it off, thinking he was a meter reader. They move fast from house to house. It's not unusual to see one come into the yard one minute and be gone the next. A few months later, my oldest daughter and a friend were coming down our street. The sun was going down, but it was still light enough outside that they weren't using headlights. They had come to a stop at the stop sign a block from the house when they saw him. They saw a very tall guy wearing jeans and a plaid shirt. He crossed the street and walked towards the front door. They lost sight of him as he got closer to the house, because their view was blocked by a huge tree. However, they did not see him come around the tree, where they would have seen him clearly had he done so. As they drove down the street closer to the house, they expected to see him at the front door. No one was there. They got out the car and walked around our house, but didn't see anyone there either. Flashing forward to January 28, 2010, it's my youngest daughter's best friend A's birthday. A and E, my youngest daughter, had gone out for lunch and shopping. It was a little after five in the evening when I received a call from E. She said that she and A were sitting at the stop sign a block away. She asked me to come out the front door. When I questioned it, she said she wanted me to see something. 
I opened the door and stood on the step. She asked if I was outside because she could not see me. I told her where I was. She then said, Do you see him? Not waiting for my reply, she said, He's crossing the street. He should be directly in front of the house. There was no one crossing the street in front of my house. In fact, I didn't see any of our neighbours outside. Both girls say, as they stopped at the stop sign, they saw him standing in the yard across the street from our house. At that time, my daughter called me. They say he turned his head and looked straight at them, staring for a minute before crossing the street. He was oddly tall, very slim, short brown hair. He was dressed in a green plaid shirt and jeans. There have been at least three other friends who have seen him. He was wearing the same outfit and crossed the street directly in front of our house. One of those friends said she saw him disappear right before her eyes as he was walking up our driveway. The sightings of him have always been between 5 and 7 in the evening, from the late fall of 2009 through to June of 2010. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, making sure to hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video. So until next time, sleep tight.